Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ride Like a Mother podcast. We are here today with Dr. Chris Bell and it's me, Shelby. Um, sorry. <laughs> it's me, Carolyn and Shelby, your hosts here at the Ride Like a Mother podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Chris Bell about kissing spine and the kissing spine surgery. Hi, this is Shelby and Carolyn. We are two Canadian prairie ladies, raising babies, riding horses, and living the country life. We are on a journey to find health and wealth while building our ranches, and we want to share the journey with you. In this podcast, you can expect to hear us share our own experiences, as well as interview other inspiring humans. We'll cover topics such as human health, horse health, barrel racing, building a ranch, and so much more. We are ready to dig into the tough conversations like mental health, motherhood, farming challenges, finances, you name it. You will walk away from this podcast with tips, tricks, and strategies that will have you finding more joy and peace in your journey. We know there's a lot of juggling that goes into this lifestyle because we are living it. And as a nurse myself and Carolyn with a master's in animal science, we have a lot to bring to the conversation. So grab your coffee to go, throw on your messy bun and muck boots. Let's head to the barn and chat because we have business to take care of and we're sure you do too. Welcome to the Ride Like a Mother podcast. Today we're going to talk to Dr. Chris Bell about kissing spine and the kissing spine surgery. But first, uh, why don't we get a little introduction into who you are and how you became uh, the vet that you are now? Awesome. Yeah. So um, first off, thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Um, yeah, so I, um, I grew up around horses, um, grew up in Alberta. And, um, you know, in high school, kind of got the, uh, the bug to become a veterinarian. And uh, so I, I did a, uh, an undergraduate degree uh, in microbiology and immunology at the University of Saskatchewan. And, um, and then briefly started a master's program at the University of Calgary. But um, uh, got accepted into vet school that same year. So I uh, did a four-year degree in veterinary medicine at the University of Saskatchewan um, and then wanted to proceed further into the horses. Um, I ended up doing a one-year surgical internship at uh, Arizona Equine, so down in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, and cool. following, following that, came back to uh, Canada and did a uh, three-year uh, surgical residency in uh, large animal surgery. Um, and that was back at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, at the completion of all that, you get to write this fun exam um, called the board exam. And um, so luckily passed that. And so I am a board certified equine surgeon um, or the fancy name is a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Surgeons. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I, uh, I uh, bought and um, owned a uh, equine uh, veterinary service. So I took over that from Dr. Norm Elder about uh, 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and then most recently in the past like five or six years or so, uh, been named uh, an adjunct professor uh, in equine surgery at the WCVM. So that uh, that brings us to today. And yeah, there you go. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. You've that probably seen the- and done a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of school. <laughs> yeah, and we're getting a lot of accomplishments. Yeah, Absolutely. and uh, so you, you mentioned that you're the owner at Elders Equine, and actually that's how I was introduced to you because Elders Equine is actually 
a very well-known um, equine specialized clinic, just like uh, west of Winnipeg. So if, for those of you that are listening from further away, that's we're like right in the middle of Canada, Manitoba, and then right in the middle of the province. So <laughs> absolutely. We are so lucky to have you this close mm-hmm. to us. Yes. <laughs> I'm so Don't fortunate that somebody with your skill is here and available for us. Uh, rodeo barrel racer team roper people <laughs> horse people all the disciplines okay so we're here to talk about kissing spine this is something like I've grown up with horses my entire life but it just seems like in the past year has been in this area I don't know about you you can maybe shed some light on this but there's been so many horses that have had it and it's been diagnosed is this just something um, new or just with the bloodlines or the different um, stress levels that the horses are under with their disciplines. But just give us a little brief intro about kissing spine and what it is. Sure, yeah. So, um, so, so kissing spine, um, the, the kind of technical term for it is uh, impingement of the dorsal spinous processes. So if we, you know, if we want to understand um, what kissing spine is, we kind of have to you know, understand a little bit about the anatomy that, um, that that's going on there. So um, in the horse's back, and you'll be kind of familiar um, with their back, and they have all these um, processes that stick up off of the off of the vertebrae, and they stick straight up. And those processes at the front of the back are what make the wither. So they have that nice climb up, and then they slope back down into the mid-back, and then they continue on back through until you get to the pelvis. So those those processes that stick up, those are called the dorsal spinous processes. And what happens to them in some cases is they, they come together and they touch. And when they touch, that's where you get what's called kissing spine. So those processes are now touching. So that's like the anatomy of what's going on. So then we have to like look at what is causing these to, to touch. And, um, and that is where you get into, you know, the, the different hereditary possible lines or lineages to, that can that can have horses that lead to having this condition. Um, but overall, what, what ends up happening is those processes, they're supposed to be held together, or sorry, they're supposed to be held apart. <laughs> and um, there's a little ligament that runs between them. That little ligament is called the interspinous ligament, and it allows the back to flex, open and close, open and close. Along the top of the, of the spine, coming from up along the neck, like the nuchal ligament, and then continuing along is called the supraspinous ligament. So it continues all the way along there, and it's what's kind of like the suspension bridge. So it's kind of like the suspension line. So that's going to hold the back, you know, up and down, and then these little processes can flex back and forth. So what we believe happens with kissing spine is that the the conformation of the back, where it should be nice and kind of flat with a little bit of a slope, but nice and kind of flat across there. It starts to dip down and that can happen for a number of reasons. Again, hereditary possibly, uh, lack of back muscle conditioning. Um, those are kind of the, the, the big issues that we run into. And then of course, age, you know, just age related, the muscles start to not be as, as well conditioned and things start to slope down a little bit. And as those slope down, those processes get closer and closer together. And as they start to interfere with each other and rub and bang together, they cause that little ligament in between there to start to have inflammation. So inflammation in the ligament in its of itself is a little bit painful. And that's, you know, not the end of the world. That's kind of the earliest sign is you get a little bit of pain in the back. 
But over time, what happens is those ligaments smacking together and, and getting damaged, eventually, as they heal, as ligaments heals, they scar, and so they shorten. So every time they scar, they get a little bit closer together until finally you've got a back that just doesn't want to move anymore. And that's that's the pathology behind what we're seeing when we when we come across a horse with kissing spine. I I knew that there was ligaments there and I knew, but I honestly didn't realize like how do you exercise them or how do you I guess it's just by doing basic maneuvers when you're riding them and conditioning them or lunging them to keep them yeah. exercised and stretched, right? Yeah. So one of the, you know, it, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, certainly that, that's like, that's all part of like our, our conditioning work that, you know, we want to do when these horses are, are recovering through recovery, but it's an important part of dealing with horses in general, right? Is, is not to neglect that back exercise because, this is a consequence of, of horses not having good back exercise and good warm-ups and good conditioning of those back muscles. You know, we, we concentrate on, you know, trying to get them to turn quicker and trying to get them to accelerate quicker yeah. and all the rest of it. Um, and we neglect some of that endurance type work that we need to do and work on in their back. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so once you've got, you know, a, a back that, that the processes can't separate or some of them will actually override, they'll actually kind of pinch over like that. Um, then you've got a horse that's got inflexibility in their back. And so when they, when you ask them to do something, they, they no longer can stretch out and move. Now they've got this pinch, you know, these little pinching points in their back. And so most commonly what, what they present as or what they come to me, you know, saying what's going on is typically the horses have, um, they're reactive to having a saddle pad put on them or they're reactive to the saddle. So when you go to cinch them up, they'll react. They don't like that. Um, as they get further along in their condition, they'll actually start to resist. Even you bringing the saddle over to them, they'll start to get cranky. They might try and bite you. Um, they might flinch away. And then when you are riding them, what they'll tend to do, and this is particularly with the barrel horses, what we tend to see is when they go and they turn their barrel and they go to take off and run, they'll stretch their neck out. They'll stretch their neck out in front of them and they'll try to hollow their back. And so what, you know, what they're probably trying to do is they're trying to stretch these, these processes out in their back, but of course they can't. So they're stretching out, stretching out, trying to get going. And they just, well, it feels like they're just not picking up with their hind end. And so it very commonly gets, um, you know, not misdiagnosed, but um, it, it gets attributed to like hawks. You know, they're like, oh, the horse got sore hawks. It's not, you know, he's not giving me what I want. He's not coming, coming out of his barrel. He's not running properly. And so, you know, that's oftentimes what we, what we will first see them for is that, you know, they suspect that the hawks are sore. Um, and then we'll do our exam and, and find that actually the back is sore. Um, the hawks may be part of it too, but the, the back is kind of the, the primary pain. Um, and so, you know, going based off the history is, is a big part of, of the exam, you know, having, having the vet kind of talk to you about like, what exactly is a horse doing? What are they, you know, what are they not doing? Mm-hmm. Um, some horses, as they get really sore, they will actually, they'll, they'll buck, um, they won't hold their leads, you know, they can do all those sort of things, which, you know, these symptoms all together, they, they don't, they're not as clean cut, you know, like when we start talking about, a horse trying to bite at their side when you're cinching them up. Well, we're thinking like ulcers and, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're thinking other things, you know, we're not thinking about their back. And, and I think that's why, you know, you're, you're kind of saying like, it seems like it's really come to light in the past year or so. I mean, um, we've been diagnosing them for, you know, 20 years or better. Right. It's just that mm-hmm. I, I do think that, that it's becoming more prevalent that people are recognizing 
the backs as being a primary source of, of the, of the issue. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, those horses, yeah, those horses where you've injected their hawks in the past and they've kind of improved, but not really, no one's really ever known why. Um, and it's a lot of just a lack of, um, recognition of the back as a, as an actual source of lameness. Okay. So say you suspect that that's what it is. How do you actually diagnose it? Like x-rays or... Yeah, so um, so the physical exam and the history are, are a real big part. So obviously we do that history first. We talk about all those different things. And then we go over our physical exam. And as part of the physical exam, um, that's going to check the, the back. And so we're going to feel along not only the back muscles, so those are the big muscles that run along the back, but we're actually going to put pressure over top of each of those little processes. So you've got those little processes sticking up. And we're going to go along and put pressure on top of each one of them. And if the horse is flinching on that pressure, that is a possible indication that there's impingement there or that there's pain at that site. And so from there, we have a couple different options. So we can put some nerve blocks in. So we can actually put some like lidocaine in there and block around where that, where that pain possibly is and then go back and repalpate or block them and then have you ride them. And, um, and that can be really, really helpful because the rider can say, oh, wow, look at that. This horse has got some movement again. You know, things are feeling a little bit better. It won't be as good as they were before because they still physically have impingement, um, but that could be helpful from there. And then, yeah, and then the next step would be to go to x-rays. And um, x-rays, um, x-rays alone, so if you just took any old horse in and just took an x-ray of their back, you're going to find like about 20% of them or so are going to have what look like impingement of their spines. So it's just a, there, there is a percentage of horses out there that have very close processes, but they don't have any pain. And so that's where if you take x-rays alone, they, they can't be used as a diagnostic. So you have to do x-rays in combination with an exam. Now, if we, if we take x-rays and we see these are overriding processes or we see changes around the bone, sometimes the bone will become more white where there's injury, um, or there's actually sometimes where the bones are overriding or they've, they've started to dig into each other and we'll actually have these little kind of pockets of bone that are dug out from where it's been rubbing. So if we have those kind of changes and we have the pain in their back or we've got a, a back that we can block out, then we've got the, the enough there to kind of make a diagnosis. Um, some of the other things that you know we, that you can do, we, you can ultrasound them. Um, so we can look in, and try and look at the ligaments. The trouble with ultrasound is it doesn't go through bone. So if you've got a bunch of bone that's all stuck together and these ligaments in between, you can't, you can't really see them. Um, and then probably like the, the original way they used to be diagnosed was with um, something called nuclear scintigraphy. And um, that's a really, really cool technique. Um, it doesn't get used near as much anymore because it involves having to have like a nuclear license and all the rest of it. But um, some of the schools still do it. So WCVM will still do it. And um, uh, more and company in, in Calgary there, they still do it. Um, and what they do basically is they inject a, uh, a radionucleotide uh, attached to a little bone marker and they, it circulates through the body and it will go and attach itself to anywhere where there's bone activity. So in these processes that are rubbing together, they're, they're creating a lot of bone activity. They're remodeling all the time. And so when you stick that horse in front of one of these gamma cameras and it picks up all the radiation, you can actually see those little bits of bone like light up. They, they, they come up right. Um, and that, you know, that would be one of the original ways to, to diagnose them. So, yeah. 
Very That's cool. Very cool. <laughs> super science here. Yeah, yeah. Medicine's fun. <laughs> Who knew there were that many aspects that go into diagnosing one thing? I know, I know. <laughs> but that's cool. So it's, say I had a horse and it was diagnosed as kissing spine. Um, what's kind of next for me? What are my options as far as do we go straight to surgery? Is there other, like, is there injections that people can try? Like what's kind of right. the, the yeah. thing to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you can go back like historically, like what, you know, what was originally done and kind of come up to what current science is. So, you know, originally when, when we used to find these, um, it would be injections that would be typically have done. So okay. different kinds of injections you can do. Um, the most common type of injection. So what, we, what, what we're dealing with here uh, primarily is inflammation, right? So we've got inflammation of all those mm-hmm. uh, little ligaments right in between the processes. And so in order to eliminate inflammation, um, we can use corticosteroids. So that would be like what's commonly referred to as like Depo or Depomedrol um, or Trimcinolone. Mm-hmm. So these are um, corticosteroid drugs and um, they can be injected in and along the process and they can be injected along the ligament. And they're very, very strong anti-inflammatory. So they're going to basically go in there and just zap all the inflammation out. And that's going to take the pain away uh, for a period of time. But we never actually solve the problem. We just we're just taking away the pain. So it's kind of like kind of like treating hawks. You know, we're we're taking away the the pain response, but didn't actually solve the problem. So over time, that will come back. Um, and so you can inject them. Um, you usually have to you know inject them more than once. So depending on the horse, you might inject them two, three times a year. You know, it's kind of depending on how much okay. discomfort there is there. Um, with the corticosteroids, people add in all sorts of other things. You can, you know, you can put B12 in there and uh, serapin. I mean, there's different different types of medications you can put in there to try and elongate or, or prolong the amount of um, anti-inflammatory effect. Um, but that was kind of the, that was one of the earlier things that, um, that we would try and do. The, um, the earliest surgery that was done was they would, um, we would lie them down. So we'd do a, a general anesthesia. Um, we put them on their side and then we would open their back. We'd, you know, go along with the scalpel, open their back. We'd, we'd push that uh, big supraspinous ligament and then we would take a, a saw or a mallet and chisel and we would cut all those processes off um, along the top. So if they're all impinging like this, and my fingers are not, the fingers are not quite a, a proper analogy that the processes have a little bend on the top of them. So they rub at the very top. And so you just go in and we would just cut them all off along the top so they don't they can't bend into each other anymore. Um, and that was, that was the surgery, you know, 20 years ago, that's what would have been done. You know, what we would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest issue with that was when you take off those processes, uh, you, you create a hollow there and um, those horses would, you know, they'd chronically have problems in recovery because they would have this kind of incision right in the middle of their back. And, you know, mm-hmm. if a horse is out in the rain, it's going to collect water. And I mean, it's just, you know, it, so, so the surgery, the surgery of 20 years ago got abandoned and nobody really did surgery on the, on these horses for, for many years in there. Um, and so, you know, the injections were popular, um, things like, um, shockwave therapy, um, became popular. Um, so shockwave is a, is a device. Um, it, it's got a, a little, they call it a trode. It's got a module on the, on the end of a, uh, of a, application device and you basically sit it on top of the on top of the process and it it delivers a pulsed wave into the tissue and and that pulse of energy going in the tissue 
um, sounds super hokey pokey, but it, it does some really cool stuff. So it actually helps to decrease inflammation by activating platelets. And platelets, when they activate, they can release a bunch of really nice uh, healing cytokines and factors. And so it can be used for that. Um, it also, when it's doing its little thing, so it repeatedly taps, basically, just tap, 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 tap. And when it does that, it works very similar to uh, peripheral electrical nerve stimulators. And so what those are is if you have a nerve in your, in your body anywhere, and if you overstimulate it for a period of time, the brain will say, oh, that's, that's a lot of stimulation coming from that nerve. Uh, we don't need that much. We're going to downtone it. We're just going to turn down that volume. And so if you do a shockwave on the back, the brain will say, oh, okay, the back can't be that sore. So we're going to turn that down for a little while. So the shockwave can actually allow for you to have a period of, you know, usually about a month or so where the horse doesn't have that same pain in their back. They actually, it's, it's, it's anti-inflammatory, but it also helps to decrease the nerve pain. So it works through some really cool ways. So shockwave has been really, really popular because you don't have to inject anything. You can just go along the back. You can shockwave them. You can usually get them through like two or three rodeos like that. And you don't, you know, you don't have to do any surgery, no injection, you know, just basically sedate them one time and, and do it. So, um, so shockwave was popular for, for quite some time and still used a little bit. Uh, in about 2013 or right around there, um, a group out of uh, England published a paper um, where they described a technique where you go in and you actually cut this ligament in between here. So it's, a, it's done standing. The horse is just sedated. We make a little incision alongside that supraspinous ligament that runs across the top so we don't cut that ligament. And then we tunnel underneath and then come down and, and with a, an osteotome or a pair of scissors, we cut that ligament in between. And what that does is it allows the back to then separate again. So we, we're anatomically giving them back what they needed. Now in the process, we're taking out that ligament. Right, so there, nothing is done without some side effect. But you know, this is this is much better to be open like this than then pinched together. So, so that's where the that's about when that that new kissing spine technique came to be. And um, the first horse I did, um, we did one in 2013. It was uh, it was a uh, it was a rope horse that came in and um, had a sore back and diagnosed it and said, "Yep, you know, we can do shockwave, we can do injections." And, um, and said, you know, the, the guy said, I, um, I've been reading uh, in this horse journal and they talked about these guys doing this surgery. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I, I said, I'm pretty sure I know, you know what surgery you're talking about, but, um, you know, I'll go check it out. I'll see what's going on. And, um, yeah, sure enough, the, this group in, in, um, uh, in England had developed this new technique. And I said to the guy, yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with the old technique. This looks like way easier and, and I can do it standing. I said, I'm, I'm happy to give it a go and let's see how your horse does. And um, that horse came back and did really, really nicely. And, you know, even to this day, the guy will stop me at Tim Hortons and say, yeah, you know, the horse is doing great. And <laughs> so um, so that, that's what I started doing was about 2013 and um, yeah, have, have just been doing them ever since. And so that for me, it, because of the, because we're affecting the actual problem you know we're actually correcting the issue um mm -hmm. for me it's it's the go-to thing to um to, to to use to treat these horses because it um you know it, it gets the horse back into their rhythm pretty quickly you're looking at about six weeks or so of of rehab time and um and they don't have to come back um you know it, 
the, the paper that was published uh, claimed about a 95% success rate, which is like super high for anything to do with surgery. And, um, and we're, you know, we're right up there with that as well. Um, you know, the, wow. the number of horses that have to come back to have any sort of revision is, uh, you know, is near zero, which is just fantastic. So, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah awesome. super cool. Yeah, super Very super cool. cool. <laughs> so I was paying so close of attention. I don't even know where we're headed next. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Just talking. laughs> you got me all wrapped up in all this cool stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. So post-surgery, what does recovery look like? What, a yeah. What can the horse owner do to really help them recover well? Yeah. So, um, so once surgery is done, um, the horses stay with us for a couple of days and we give them some antibiotics and some anti-inflammatories, uh, and just kind of monitor, make sure everything's okay. Um, what they're going to have in their back, because we did the little incisions, they're going to have these little one centimeter incisions along their back. And they're going to get a little bit of swelling around them. It's not the end of the world. It's uh, it's okay. Uh, so those are those sutures will have to be removed in about two weeks. Uh, when the horse uh, goes home, so we keep them in the hospital for roughly two or three days. And then when they go home, they're going to go right into a rehab program. And the goal here is, okay, so now we've got all these spines all nicely opened up again, and these processes open up. We don't want them to go back together. So the rehab now is going to concentrate on on building their back muscle, you know, giving them back some back muscle. Mm -hmm. And um, the first three weeks is uh, 30 minutes of hand walking. Um, and it's 30 minutes of hand walking um, to begin with once a day and then moving to twice a day. And then after that first three weeks, then we're going to get them into a, a, a jogging program. And so that um, that's going to be on a lunge line usually. Um, some people will pony their horses though, and that's, that's fine too. Um, but we want them moving. We want them to be engaging their hind end. We want them to be working on those back muscles. And so one of the uh, keys to doing that that we use is a, is a Pessoa system. Um, so it's basically, you know, it's a sort single, you tie the head down and there's a band that kind of wraps around the butt and, um, it helps them to, mm -hmm. to bring their hind end underneath themselves. And that allows them to round their back up and work those muscles through their back. And so we have a, a, an incremental program there, um, usually starting out with about 10 minutes a day and working up to about 30 minutes a day um, over the course of the second three weeks. And then at the completion of that uh, program, um, I'll come out or the veterinarian will come out. We'll do an assessment. We'll repalpate the back. So we'll feel all those processes again. Um, if there's no pain there, everything feels good. Uh, then we clear the horse to start riding. And um, the ridden exercise from there is basically you're just, you know, you're getting back into legging the horse up. You're getting back into conditioning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, rush them off to a barrel <laughs> that, that weekend, <laughs> but, um, but you're getting them back into condition from there out. And, um, and some horses bounce back very quickly, you know, if they were fit already. Um, other horses are going to need to be fitted up a little bit more. The, um, mm -hmm. the one thing I always kind of recommend during that period and there forward is to try and work in just even one day a week work in the Pessoa work um, just to kind of concentrate and, and keep your mind on the fact that we need to keep that horse's back uh, in good condition. And, um, you know, if we follow, if we follow those programs, uh, the horses come back and, and do very well. Um, mm -hmm. Within the program, there, there, you know, there's other things. So, we, you know, we oftentimes during the first few days, we'll use methacarbamol, um, which is um, with some, like a muscle relaxant, like robaxin. So the first few days after they go home, they're usually on Robaxin, and we do usually keep them on like a, a light anti-inflammatory, um, like uh, Previquine, which is um, it's just a 
It's a lighter version of Butte, basically. It's not quite as strong, but um, it gives them some nice anti-inflammatory effect. So we usually do that for the first month as well, because, you know, a, a horse that's sore is not going to recover as well. So we try to make sure that we, um, we manage their, their pain and comfort as well. Wow. That is, you know, I am in complete awe of like modern medicine and how, you know, like you go from completely opening up their spine and getting right in there and manipulating and cutting off bone (laughs) to one inch little marks where you're cutting the ligament. Like that's amazing. And then the turnaround time I was, I'm honestly thinking that it would have been like a year or so before a horse is ready to get going. And cause that's a huge part like they carry a lot of weight a lot of stress there and yeah that's amazing uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are amazing and horses are amazing combination yeah. <laughs> okay but I don't want to backtrack track too much but I did not really hear that word that you said that exercise with the strap behind their butt I'm not oh sure. yeah what how do you say mm-hmm. that what was that called? yeah it's called a yeah it's called a pessoa uh oh, okay. yeah yeah yeah, it's a P E S S O A. I think is the is the way it goes. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But sometimes, like you can use um, like Equiband. Um, those Equibands mm-hmm. that you get, you can go around the, the butt, um, and you can kind of tie them into a surf single. Um, or you can actually use you can just use a polo. You know, just kind of tie it in and, and tie it around their butt, and um, and just have them working forward off of that. So. Um, Anything to kind of, you just want them to, you want to force them to engage their hind end and, and again, like work those back muscles through there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So in like the, obviously the surgery is a high success and seems to go really well. And the horses seem to get back to their disciplines, but is it like, if you could give a percentage wise, do most of them go back to whatever they're doing, like jumping or barrel racing or team roping, do most horse owners bring them back to that post-surgery? Yeah. Yeah. I would, um, I would say a very high percentage do go back and, and do their job. Um, it's, uh, uh, when it comes to like orthopedic type things and, you know, back and neurological type surgeries and these sort of things, um, there's not many that are that are as rewarding as this particular surgery. Um, the horses do really, really well after it, and um, and they can go back and, and get back into their into their disciplines and doing their job. So it's um it's a very rewarding surgery to be able to do because yeah, absolutely, you can you can give them back their uh, their their job and and uh, you know the the barrel races will <laughs> they'll come back and tell us, man, this horse is clocking really nice now. Like you know it's. <laughs> Like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I didn't realize she had this stride. And you're like, yeah, it's really neat, actually. Like, how much they how much they compensate for those backs that we don't yeah. even realize. You know, we don't realize how, how much stride that, that we're that they're losing when they have that that pain. Yeah, it'd certainly mm-hmm. be nice if they could just tell us. <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah I'm not going to pull out here, guys, because I'm <laughs> actually hurt. But it's but, not a hawk or a leg or a stifle issue it's a it's yeah a back issue. right yeah it's my back yeah. Only. <laughs> only. yeah oh gosh well yeah. I definitely learned a lot this has been amazing um yeah do you have any more questions Caroline I think we like covered it all um I mean other than like where do people find you like how, where you're obviously at elders equine but like is that is that where you're located 
I'll let you answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the uh, the practice is uh, Elders Equine, and um, yeah, you can find us on Facebook or we have an Instagram where we post lots of cool stuff. Um, and then, of course, uh, our our or our number two zero four eight six four two triple eight, and you can catch us uh, on uh, www at or That would be our uh, our website there. So. Yeah, and, and yeah, if anybody has any uh, any issues or wants to have a chat about it, um, we work with um, work with vets from all across the prairies here doing this stuff, and um, yeah, happy to help out. Yeah, I know our viewers are going to take a lot from this, and yeah, like Carolyn said, I'm so glad that you're here, and we had a chance to chat about this. I've, yeah, learned lots about it, so I'm very excited to grow this knowledge on Kissing Spine. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys very much for having me on. Um, yeah, a pleasure. Lots of lots of fun. Thank you.